Hello and welcome aboard This Island Nation, the Maritime Programme. Justin Ma here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, the fishing industry could do a lot more for this island nation if it was allowed to. The fishermen are not allowed to catch enough of fish to go around even in the Irish Sea. Consequently, there is a lot of fish imported into this country that shouldn't be. And it's not just humans, and not because of the current health emergency, but millions of creatures are on the move. This is the time of year when millions of creatures are on the move. Ireland is an international crossroads for migrant birds, and at the moment countless arrivals and departures are happening on an hourly basis. Nowhere is this more obvious than along our coastline, where large numbers of wading birds are currently congregating in advance of their journey back north to breed. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from the studios of CLY 104FM in Yall on the East Cork coastline, bringing together the maritime community around Ireland, an island people, a community bonded by the sea around us. That sea provides us with food through the work of the fishing industry, but Irish fishermen are limited by regulations, and other nations get more benefit. The sad thing is that within seven or eight miles of this factory, there's over 2,000 lorries going onto the continent every year, full of fish. The catching sector are not allowed to catch the fish that's in our waters. It's been caught by other nations. You're very welcome to contact the programme. Your views and comment will be most welcome. You can email thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. Dennis Good is chairman and founder of the Good Fish Company, which is based at Carrigaline in southeast Cork. It's one of the biggest fish processing companies in the country. Before the current health crisis, he sat down with Tom McSweeney at his factory and discussed what we've highlighted a number of times on this programme, the fishing industry and its future. I was a boat builder, a shipwright by trade and a timber Boat building business obviously reverted on to fiberglass and steel. So um, in the late 80s, um, work was quite scarce. I was working in the naval dockyard and it wasn't much of a job and I decided to open a fish shop in the town of Carrigaline. And it went very, very well. And I opened another fish shop in Cork City and that didn't go so well. And... Anyway, make a long story short, I grew from just being a fishmonger shop and started supplying hotels and restaurants, the factories in Ringeskiddy and Cork, the Southern Health Board. And the business grew on, um, moved to a bigger premises for the wholesale and processing in Middleton. And um, around 22 years ago, I built this factory here in the Carrigaline Industrial Estate. Um, county council um, and it was actually the first ground up fish factory built in the state in a hell of a long time and from there on um, business grew we started supplying the supermarkets and I had to employ people that had proper skills in packaging and 
um, food safety, etc. And today the business is employing between 90 and 100 people full time between our five shops in Cork and our fish processing facility here in Carrigaline. Um, I'm on business now around um, around 33 years. So it has a nice success story. We're sitting now in Carrigaline in the processing area. The fishing industry is in a difficult situation everybody talks about. So you're dependent, obviously. It's, it's bad weather. We've had Storm Dennis. Those guys are out fishing, and you, you're dependent on them for supply. So it's an interlinked business, obviously. Oh, very, very much so. I mean, the respect that I would have for the catching sector, the fishermen themselves, is immense. Obviously, coming from a boat-building background, I understand about boats, etc., etc., all my life in boats anyway. Fishing is a dangerous business. Um, catching fish is an extremely tough job. Um, the weather, nobody has control about the you know the, the climate is changing um, and that is something that we don't have any control about. Where I would have great sympathy from the catching sector is the quota situation. Um, obviously, we um, have about thirty percent of European waters with very 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 minute um, quotas for to catch most of the species. Um, at present, we are practically without Irish fish in this company, even though we are maintaining our staff, which is hard going. No, that's not the fault of the fishermen. But when the weather is good, we are still short of Irish fish because the fishermen are not allowed catch enough of fish to go around even in the Irish scene. Consequently, there's a lot of fish imported into this country that shouldn't be. And the sad thing is that within seven or eight miles of this factory, there's over 2,000 lorries going onto the continent every year full of fish, fish that has never touched soil. And all we would ask as processors that we would be given an opportunity to purchase some of that. We have a market for it. We add value to it. We believe in, pro- in processing, um, filleting and packaging and pre-packing and freezing, whatever weight is required by the customers, the supermarkets. But unfortunately, no fault of the industry up to a point, just because the catching sector are not allowed to catch the fish that's in our waters. It's been caught by other nations, which we shall name, remain nameless. And it's just gone straight out of the country. And that's a point that has been made several times, that there should be added value. But despite all the talk, added value would, is not happening because it would give more employment. It would make the industry more viable and certainly the processing sector, wouldn't it? Oh, the, the, the mistake was made 50 years ago. Um, we sold out our, 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 our quotas and our industry. But it was too easy for too long just to put it in a 40 kilo box and ship it out. In this company, we're, we don't sell whole fish. Two or three percent of the fish that's sold out of this company is, is sold whole in the carcass. Everything is filleted, portioned, packaged in whatever form the customer requires. And the potential, even with the fish that's been landed by both the Irish and by the farm boats to create employment, good sustainable employment, is immense. 
but unfortunately it's not being acted on by really the, the relevant departments. For too long, I believe that the fish industry, both catching and processing, are blaming ministers. Ministers come and go. They're in, they're out. Most of the ministers are the Minister for Agriculture with the marine portfolio just took into the back pocket. It's a forgotten portfolio. A lot of these men and women they don't understand the fishing industry, they don't understand the sea, they don't come from that background. And it's the marine department is probably the poorest performing department in the state. And if the state only relies the potential that's there, there's billions out off our shores, only for us to be given the opportunity at least to purchase and add value to it and create what could be a very sustainable industry with all the problems that are there. And the public has taken more of an interest and consumed more fish, hasn't it, now? Yes, the demand, the, obviously it's changing. Um, when I started as a fishmonger first, um, fish was, was seen as a Friday um, you know, the, the, the nature of the, the country, etc. It was a Friday thing. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, was, there wasn't much going. Whereas now, we see um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday especially. Saturday is as busy a day now as Friday because people are cooking um, their fish at home, especially on the weekends. During the week, I see a change coming in that the um, younger customers, I think, will want more value. They'll want it a ready, ready meal type of because of their pressures of time that they have with work, with two parents working, etc. The weekends, certainly, people are cooking fish and they're health conscious, etc., etc. So there is a good market for fish in Ireland and all over Europe. Are there particular species that you notice people being more interested in, Dennis, or is it just a general interest in fish? Um, it's a general interest in fish. Certainly in the last 10 years, the market for hake, especially in Ireland, has grown. Hake was historically shipped down to Spain um, in, the, in, in the carcass form, whereas now hake fillet is a very popular dish. It's kind of an alternative, I think, to cod, because obviously there is no quota for cod in Ireland. Most of the big boats have a half ton a month or some ridiculous figure like that. Most of the fresh cod sold in the country is imported, as it does the frozen stuff is all imported. But hake, uh, Bordbea did some good work with Martin Shannon and co promoting Hake and it, it, it took on. Hake haddock is now be starting to be identified as a cheaper fish, in my opinion, it's a nicer fish than cod. And of course, then obviously, salmon farm salmon um, is 50% of the sales of seafood in Ireland. Uh, unfortunately, um, it's all imported are the organic farm salmon, which we only produce about 12 or 14,000 tonnes. But salmon is the biggest seller. Um, some prawns, unfortunately, not the Irish prawn, not the Dublin Bay prawn, as we like to call it. It's mostly the cheaper uh, imported Asian prawns are big sellers as well. But there is growth in, in the demand for seafood all over Europe. 
And I noticed that when coming in here, because you have a little cafe as well as a, a shop further down this industrial estate. Yes, um, obviously when the um, factory shop, as we called it, um, and as the company grew with forklifts and with um, pressure on space, we had to move, unfortunately, our factory shop from this factory for health and safety reasons. So we invested in another property on the industrial estate and we opened our shop there which, to be honest, was too big for a fish shop. So uh, we decided that we would have a cafe and a seafood cafe, and we're developing that. We're learning here. We're not restaurateurs by any means. But um, the good fish and chips now is starting to move a little bit. And you were the first, weren't you, in going into having a shop with your factory? Yes, we were the first factory shop in the state in, in fronting any uh, fish, fish, fish plant. And indeed, most of the meat plants, none of the meat plants either had a factory shop in front. And in the early 2000s and uh, in the tiger years, it was very, very successful. Uh, we used to have queues to it, actually, for Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Then it's finally, you're a man who comes across to me as enjoying in being in the business. You, you, you convey this attitude of enjoyment are you confident about the future then with all the challenges the industry has to face for the future are you confident that things like processing added value there'll be a realization of the potential you've talked about i would have concerns naturally enough um i i do think that the state need to wake up to the fact that we are leaving uh, an awful lot of money and solid employment behind us by not zoning in stronger on the whitefish sector especially. The state has done some good work. Um, it has done some good work in shellfish and the likes of that and, and people are doing relatively well out of it. But the whitefish demand for our hake and our haddocks and our monks and all that the amount of that that's leaving the country without ever, ever having an Irish hand touch it, I think there's about 2,000 trucks a year alone out of Castletown Bear. And that's all that we know about. And the sad thing on that is that this is not monitored by the state. There is never an inspection on any of these boats. So until that is corrected and this fish um, is, 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 is at least marketed here and let the Irish have the opportunity to buy it. And if, 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 the, if the Spanish or the, the French or whoever pay more for it, good luck to the fishermen, of course. They're looking to get their best price and you have to respect that. But also, the Department of the Marine and the, and the governments need to wake up to the fact the CFP is now dead with Brexit, in my view, and now is the opportunity for the state to correct the mistake that was made there 50 years ago and go in and negotiate a proper quota for our fishermen that are well capable and now well equipped at long last to catch more fish and put it into the market in Ireland. It needs to be marketed openly. In, in an auction situation, it can be all electronic auctions now, like they are on the continent, but that would give us the opportunity to increase employment in the processing sector by thousands of people. There's thousands of potential and a lot of money there. So I would urge 
the state, especially the Department of the Marine, through BIM and um, the SFPA need to stand up a bit more. Um, they're the worries I'd have if this is, if this, for the want of a better word, um, policy that the state have of not fighting on behalf of the Irish fishing industry in Europe, it will go back. Dennis Good, founder and chairman of the Good Fish Company, talking to Tom McSweeney and setting out views about the fishing industry from the viewpoint of the processing sector. the story of those millions of creatures on the move which I referred to at the opening of the programme. Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Island tells us the story from his office in Kilcool, County Wicklow. This is the time of year when millions of creatures are on the move. Ireland is an international crossroads for migrant birds and at the moment countless arrivals and departures are happening on an hourly basis. Nowhere is this more obvious than along our coastline where large numbers of wading birds are currently congregating in advance of their journey back north to breed. Many ducks, swans and geese are also preparing to leave, and at the same time our summer migrants are starting to put in their first appearances of the year. One of the very first migrant seabirds to arrive back into Irish coastal waters each year is the Sandwich Tern, which, just to be clear, is named after the town of Sandwich in Kent, rather than on account either of its dietary habits or its palatability. It's the largest of Ireland's five breeding tern species. All have pale grey and white bodies and black caps on their heads, but aside from its size, the sandwich tern can also be distinguished from the others by its shaggy black crest and its long black bill, which ends in a contrasting yellow tip. Its rasping calls are often the best way to locate this little known but reasonably common bird as it forages over the sea. As the sandwich terns arrive, so several species of beach-dwelling arctic waders are gearing up to leave us. Of these, the diminutive Dunlin is the most common. These tiny brown birds, barely bigger than a sparrow but with distinctly longer beaks and legs, congregate on beaches, estuaries and mudflats, sometimes in flocks of thousands. Small numbers breed in Ireland, but the vast majority of our wintering population sets off over the sea at this time of year to return to remote breeding grounds in northern Scandinavia and Russia. Before they do this, their plumage changes colour, they become brighter and a large black patch appears on their bellies. Alongside you'll find their close relatives, the sanderlings. In non-breeding dress, they are much lighter in colour than Dunlans, almost a ghostly pale grey, but prior to nesting they molt into a mottled reddish plumage. They are usually found close to the tide line, frantically dashing around like clockwork toys in search of food. They completely abandon Ireland in the spring, flying to breeding locations as far flung as Greenland and Siberia, covering a tremendous distance for such a tiny bird. The third member of this closely related group of small waders is the slightly larger, dumpier knot, spelt K-N-O-T, also known as the red knot. This latter name might seem to many observers in Ireland to be an odd one, given that the species is pretty much entirely grey when we encounter it on beaches and mudflats. Once it returns to its arctic nesting habitat, however, its plumage transforms into a striking house brick red, which we rarely get to see. The species is named after fabled King Canute on account of its vain attempts, it might appear, to command the tide to retreat. It's worth remembering that sailors are often the very first to spot our regular returning land-based migrant birds, as many fly in low over the sea or even stop on vessels for a brief respite. Birdwatch Ireland, together with its BirdLife International partners across Europe, Central Asia and Africa, is running a special project called Spring Alive to track some of our more familiar and important migrants, 
namely Swallows, Swifts, Cuckoos and Sand Martins, as well as a new addition this year, the Ringed Plover. If you happen to see or hear any of these birds arriving over the next few weeks, please take just a few seconds to log them for us at www.springalive.net. Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland. And if you should be having a walk and spot any of those birds, that website address again is springalive.net. There are many aspects of the sea, and in these difficult times, considering some of them may be a help. So let's look now at the increase of interest in what's described as open water swimming, also said to provide the vitamin of the sea. Here's John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Island, from their offices in Galway. In the past few years, we have observed a marked increase in open water swimming activity generally. Our water quality has improved and there are many sites around our wonderful coastline where they can take a daily dip. Following the successful RT documentary Vitamin C, we have seen a further lift of interest in this healthy pursuit. Quite a few articles have been written in newspapers and magazines and it has featured on quite a few radio shows. The benefits of our mental health appears to be the main attraction. It helps us forget all our worries, problems and anxieties ashore. Swimmers arrive back feeling euphoric and in a very positive frame of mind and more able to deal with our daily trials and tribulations. In terms of our physical health, it boosts our immune system as cold water boosts the white blood cell count as the body is forced to react to the changing conditions. Over a period of time, your body becomes better at immobilizing its defences. Endorphins are what the brain produces to make us feel good. Cold water brings us close to the pain barrier. Endorphins are then released when we are close to that pain barrier, which helps us cope, and that can help us improve our mental health. Swimming burns calories as our body works harder to keep itself warm. It enhances circulation as cold water flushes blood through your veins, arteries and capillaries. This forces your blood to the surface to push the cold outwards, warming your extremities in the process. This is how it can increase libido. Cold water boosts estrogens and testosterone production, adding an edge to fertility and libido. There are quite a few groups that have formed in recent years around the country, apart from the groups featured on the TV documentary Vitamin C. Quite a few more exist. One such group was formed by one of our members, Dean McGettigan, Neo Shocknessy, daughter of a Killybegs fisherman. She formed the Wild Atlantic Dippers, and the sense of community spirit is very strong in these groups, and they act as a great support to the swimmers involved. With the COVID-19 virus circulating at present, it is believed that chlorine in swimming pools kills it and also salt water, which is made up of sodium chloride. Regrettably, we lost two of these swimmers in recent months, so it is important to do it safely. The following advice is recommended for people who take up this healthy activity. Start in June when the water temperature is between 40 and 18 degrees Celsius. Swim when the water is on the flood or close to high water. Always swim with others some of whom must have some life-saving training, and ensure there is a ring boy nearby, in case of emergency. To avoid cold shock, enter the water slowly and throw some water down the back of your neck. Swim within your depth, stay within your depth, parallel to the coastline. Check the weather forecast and tidal information and beware of rip currents on our surfing beaches, especially at spring tides. Make sure you can be seen by wearing a bright yellow swim cap, and we recommend that you use a tow float as they can be seen by other aquatic users, especially near piers, slipways and harbours. If Metairn have issued wind warnings that creates hazardous conditions, then don't swim that day. Apart from endangering your own life, you also endanger those who will have to rescue you. 
Listen to your body and do not let yourself get too cold in the water. It is also important to understand that your body will react differently to the cold on different days. If you are tired, developing a cold or flu, or have had a few drinks the night before, you might start to feel colder, faster than usual, when you are in the water. Tailor the length of your swim to how you are feeling on a given day. Following your swim, warm up fast, dry up quickly, put on many layers and enjoy a warm drink from your flask to warm your core. There is detailed advice at watersafety.ie and search for open water swimming. With our children off school at present, please supervise them when they are on or near water, as they are attracted to it and we don't want any tragedies over this unusual period we're living through. They can enjoy and learn water safety online on our children's interactive website, teachpause.ie. So until next month, an appeal and a reminder to always wear a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, ending this edition of This Island Nation, produced at CMY 104FM Yule on the East Cork coastline. Editor Tom McSweeney and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. Radio Corkabashkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio. West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castlebar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island, on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and themarinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the maritime community with Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com. Until our next programme, from me, Justin Ma, the usual wish for fair sailing.